This show is supported by the BS Podcast Network. They got tons of great content over there. Please go check them out. In addition, sometimes I say things on this show that sounds like medical advice. I can tell you right now it's not. If you want medical advice, go talk to your doctor, not me. By supporting this show, you're supporting a cause. That cause is making science accessible for everyone. Thank you for your support. What's up, everybody? It's Adam here. I am really glad you decided to join me today. For the next couple minutes, I want you to sit back, relax, and open your mind. What's the worst that could happen? I mean, it's basically science. If you're alive today, you've probably had an experience with antibiotics. Antibiotics are a group of medications or drugs that are designed to kill bacteria, a small microorganism that can lead to illness and disease. If abused or misused, antibiotics could potentially create a larger problem in the very near future, and there are already signs that this is occurring. You might be thinking, well, why the hell are we taking them? Because, well, in some cases, if you don't, you die. All cells have what's called a membrane. Some bacteria, however, have an additional protective layer above and beyond that membrane called a cell wall. We classify bacteria in a number of different ways. One of the primary ways that we classify bacteria is by what's called gram staining. Bacteria that stain positive have a cell wall and they're considered gram positive. Bacteria that do not stain are considered to be gram negative because they do not have a cell wall. There are some bacteria that don't stain positive or negative, and they're kind of in between, but we're not really going to dive into that. Inside the cell, or inside the bacteria, there can be a range of different organelles, or little organs. In addition to those organelles, they contain genetic material. What's different about bacteria is their genetic material is not contained in what we call a nucleus. It is not separate from the rest of what's in the cell. Instead, it's freestanding, and it usually exists in a circular form. Because it's not contained in a nucleus and it is freestanding, this makes bacteria more susceptible to genetic mutation. Bacteria reproduce by what's called binary fission. Genetic material is first copied, and then the organism prepares to divide by duplicating all of its organelles. The result is then that bacteria that now has copied DNA and duplicated organelles starts to split in half and produce two identical offspring called daughter cells. This happens every so often depending on the strain of bacteria. It can happen as fast as 10 minutes and as slow as 1 to 2 days. The growth of a bacterial colony is what we call exponential. The faster the reproductive rate, the harder the infection is to control. Additionally, the rapid expansion of bacterial colonies means that they evolve much faster than other organisms. Bacteria aren't all bad, though. There's good bacteria and there's bad bacteria. There's a lot of different species, and some are considered good. The ones that we consider good are the bacteria that live in and on you. 
This is completely natural and is actually a sign of good health. Most bacteria live in your gut and they're part of what's called your microbiome. Research has linked changes slash abnormalities in your microbiome to different illnesses and diseases. Bad bacteria cause infections in your body, and these infections can take place virtually anywhere. Some common examples would be a bacterial pneumonia, strep throat, and even some sinus infections. Our body deals with bacterial infections all the time, and for the most part, they're minor, and our body can handle them naturally. When we can't handle a bacterial infection, we need to turn to drugs to help. Those drugs are called antibiotics. In 1928, Alexander Fleming accidentally discovered the drug called penicillin that we now know today is probably one of the most famous antibiotics ever. The way he discovered it was actually kind of funny. Hey, sorry to interrupt. A good friend of mine actually pointed out that I had misworded this and uh, it's Sunday. This episode comes out tomorrow and uh, I don't want to get this wrong. And to get this wrong would be a discredit to Alexander Fleming and, you know, how far we've actually come into antibiotics. So let's get this right. Thanks, Mike. Alexander Fleming actually was researching common staphylococcal bacteria, which is just a a type of bacteria. And the story goes he went on vacation and he left an uncovered Petri dish by an open window. And when he came back, that Petri dish had begun to grow mold. That Petri dish had previously had staphylococcal bacteria on it and he noticed that when the mold got near this bacteria it started to kill that bacteria he then isolated that mold and it was identified as penicillium genus and that's where the name penicillin comes from back to your regularly scheduled programming long story short penicillin was discovered and it was first used in 1942 Since that time, we have come up with a lot of other antibiotics that work in different ways. The two primary mechanisms by which antibiotics work, first, to kill bacteria outright by destroying their cell wall. This pretty much renders them defenseless, and it allows our body to kill them. The second would be by preventing growth. This allows our body to to take the time that we need to fight off the infection, and it doesn't grow faster than we can fight it. Some common antibiotics that you may have heard of, amoxicillin, uh, cephalexin, also known as Keflex, doxycycline, ciprofloxacin, known as Cipro, clindamycin, metronidazole, also known as Flagyl, azithromycin, or Zithromax, or ZPAC. Bactrim, which is actually two different drugs called sulfamethoxazole and trimethoprim. You may have also heard of levaquin or levofloxacin. These drugs are a result of trying to keep up with what we call antibiotic resistance. As penicillin was widely used in World War II, it wasn't long after, about maybe 30 years or so, that we started to realize that the drug was not not as useful anymore. A substance called beta-lactamase was then discovered. Beta-lactamase is an enzyme that essentially prevents penicillin from doing its job. 
To get around that, we'd figured out a way to kill bacteria in other ways, other than the way that penicillin works. And that's where all of these different classes and drugs come from. Additionally, we figured out that we could prevent that beta-lactamase from stopping penicillin by adding another drug. Amoxicillin, which is a derivative or a synthetic version of penicillin, was first used with what's called clavulanic acid. This clavulanic acid binds to the beta-lactamase. It comes in with the amoxicillin and says, you know what, I got this. I'm going to take care of this beta-lactamase, and amoxicillin can go on and do its job. That drug, called Augmentin, was first used in 1981 in the UK. As a result of the bacterial forefront, or the antibiotic forefront, we have some consequences. Yes, antibiotics are great drugs, and they're extremely useful to us, and they save lives but it does come with consequences. What are those consequences? Well, some fear that we may be inadvertently producing what's called a superbug. A superbug would essentially be a strain of bacteria that we can't fight naturally and that we don't have an antibiotic that it kills. The result of a superbug forming would be likely mass destruction. How did antibiotics cause the possible formation of a superbug? First, we need to understand how bacteria evolve. Bacteria evolve in a few different ways. First and foremost, it occurs naturally. The evolution of any living thing is completely natural, and it can occur by what's called random mutation. Random mutation are different changes in DNA that are a result of copying the DNA. And as a result, it usually occurs during reproduction. This bacterial evolution, albeit natural, has been perpetuated by antibiotics. Are antibiotics the only thing to blame? No. Germophobia is also becoming more common, especially in 2020. And these chemicals that kill bacteria act similar to antibiotics and have similar consequences. Bacteria have evolved to have what's called antibiotic resistance. Antibiotic resistance is not a binary function such as an on-off light switch. Instead, it's a spectrum that can lead to decreased effectiveness of an antibiotic, and it can be extremely variable. Inversely, when bacteria are exposed to non-toxic doses of an antibiotic, they can learn to defend against it, just like our immune system. Antibiotics stop infections by either killing them or preventing population growth, as we previously talked about. A very important evolutionary concept would be survival of the fittest, which means that when we take an antibiotic to stop an infection, anything that we kill obviously dies. But most importantly, what we don't kill lives on to reproduce and to perpetuate and progress that genetic material. When the fizz survive, it's less bacteria that we know we can kill. Additionally, bacteria can evolve by picking up scraps of dead bacteria from their fallen brothers. 
These bacteria, when they die, they undergo what's called lysis. When a cell lyses or falls apart or explodes or however you want to describe it, they release bits and pieces of themselves all over the place, just like broken glass. Other bacteria can come up to these bits and pieces and envelop them and bring them in. When you do that, you can pick up genetic material. Some genetic material is broken and it's only bits and pieces, but other genetic material can be picked up as what's called a plasmid. Plasmids are circular pieces of DNA that usually contain a small bit of genetic information. That small genetic information could be antibiotic resistance. Now granted, antibiotic resistance can also spread naturally. If a cell dies by natural causes or a bacteria dies by natural causes and it happens to be antibiotic resistant, it can release its genetic material for other cells to pick up in other circumstances other than an infection and other than the use of antibiotics. So what's the result of antibiotic resistance? What's going to come of this? Some fear that we may be making a superbug. A superbug is a strain of bacteria that theoretically we would not be able to stop, neither by our natural immune system or by antibiotics. Unfortunately, we've already started to see signs of this. According to an article published on modernhealthcare.com, in 2016, a strain of E. coli, which is a type of bacteria, was found to be possibly or potentially resistant to many drugs. There were a lot of other articles that really started to bring attention to the ability or the possibility of a superbug, and we don't know when it will occur and if it will occur. In 2019, in the U.S., a bill was proposed called the Disarm Act. The Disarm Act was designed to increase funding to pharmaceutical companies and incentivize the production of new, possibly extremely potent antibiotics. So if we were ever faced with a superbug, we would at least have a way to possibly destroy it. That bill did not pass and has not been signed into law. In May of 2020, an opinion article was published by Undark, written by Sophie Strasberg. She points out in her article that COVID is likely going to contribute to societal germophobia, and as a result, people are going to be more anxious and more attentive to their cleanliness and their health. Additionally, she goes on to say that this shouldn't become a habit, and I agree. If we make germophobia a societal norm, we are going to eventually perpetuate and, and continue to accelerate this bacterial evolution. And as of right now, we don't have a way to develop a, uh, a superbug antibiotic. And we don't know if a superbug antibiotic is on the brink of discovery. We don't know when it'll happen, and we don't have a way to kill it. If we ramp up our efforts to kill bacteria through this new societal germophobia, it will only make the bacteria stronger. It will accelerate the evolution of bacteria and push towards a superbug. What can you do to help stop a potential superbug? The abuse and misuse of antibiotics is a very, very common occurrence, especially in the U.S. To abuse antibiotics would be to take them when you don't need to. 
Patients and doctors are both at fault for this, and more recently, doctors have been more aware of when they're prescribing antibiotics because this problem has become so well known. It is a true threat to the health and safety of people. When you abuse antibiotics and take them when you're not supposed to, it causes unnecessary exposure of the drug to bacteria. When we show bacteria this drug and we don't have to, it's kind of like showing our hand in the game of life. They can learn from that exposure and it again progresses their evolution towards a superbug. To misuse antibiotics would be to not take them as prescribed. This could be taking them at inappropriate times. Some antibiotics you have to take twice a day, morning and night. Some you have to take three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it, it, it all depends. Additionally, misusing antibiotics would be to stop taking them before you're supposed to. Most antibiotics come in either a 7 to 10 to 14 day course. If you were to be prescribed the 14 day course of antibiotics, but stop taking them around day 10, they could become less effective. Drugs work over several doses in order to build and maintain a very specific amount of that drug in your body. If you were to stop the drug early, or to not take the drug at the appropriate time, it could affect that amount and it could result in incomplete eradication of the infection. By understanding how bacteria grow and reproduce, we were able to understand the basics of antibiotics and, and a class of drugs that we now use to kill them. Antibiotics have saved numerous, numerous lives and they are a direct result of good science. In more recent times, especially in the last 20 to 30 years, the abuse and misuse of antibiotics has become very serious and has serious long-term consequences. As patients and as doctors, it's our responsibility to treat antibiotics appropriately and not abuse them just like any other drug. Is a superbug on the brink of occurring? There's no way to really know. We have seen many articles published, especially over the last couple of years, that are identifying new strains of bacteria that we have not seen before. Those strains of bacteria have become extremely resistant to many antibiotics. At this time, we only know of one strain of E. coli that could potentially be pan-resistant or completely resistant to all antibiotics. That strain of E. coli has not become very common yet. However, we don't know if and when it could arise. In conclusion, do we need to be worrying about a superbug? Well, kinda. We don't know when a superbug could arise. We don't know how close we are to creating one. But what we do know is that if we continue to keep acting like antibiotics are free to be used whenever, we will create one. Going forward, just remember to be conscious of how you're using antibiotics. Always follow the prescription. Always follow your doctor's recommendations. And at any time, if you have questions, ask your doctor or you can ask your pharmacist. Continue to be aware of cleanliness and germs, especially in the midst of a pandemic. COVID-19, unfortunately, is far from over and we will continue to fight this. We will continue to fight it using the same basic ways that we fought any other infection and any other pandemic. Wash your hands, keep your mask on, and as a result, hopefully we can beat this.
If you enjoyed this episode, please hit subscribe and turn on notifications for new episodes. You can follow the show on Twitter at ScienceBasicPod, on Facebook at It's Basically Science Podcast, and you can follow me on Twitter at Burgess Adam. I encourage you to share with a friend. For feedback and questions, you can contact me at sciencebasically at gmail.com. See you next week. Thank you.